Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us this morning. If you have children that are kindergarten through third grade and they're going down for children's church, they can dismiss out the back right now with Miss Tammy. Um, if you have children or maybe you just want something to do during this sermon, uh, there are uh, sermon guides on the back table designed for your children. They got a little bingo game that goes along with the sermon they can play. Um, if they fill it out and then come see me afterwards, I'll have a piece of candy uh, for them. So today we are in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 43 through 48 if you would like to head that direction. But today we are once again continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' first recorded teaching in his ministry. And it was given to his 12 disciples as well as a one to 200 other followers on a mountainside on the Sea of Galilee. And in this teaching, Jesus is revealing the heart of God. And he is contrasting that with the pseudo-righteousness of the Pharisees and others during Jesus' time on earth. We've recently, and are continuing in a section of the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus is revealing how he came to fulfill the Old Testament, and how God desires and calls us more than just, than just external action. God desires to transform our hearts to be more like his. And in explaining this, Jesus has given us six examples of how the Pharisees were misinterpreting the Old Testament, and how God calls us to heart change, not loopholes, and not going through religious motions. And today we're going to see Jesus' final example of this. The first five that we've seen so far involve murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, and finally last week we were called to respond with love and not revenge. And so today we come to one of the most well-known teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. But it is also one of the most difficult teachings to live out. Today's teaching goes against the grain of everything we feel and everything our world does and lives out. So today we want to not just read this command to love our enemies, but we want to uncover through Jesus' teachings how we can possibly love our enemies and then why we should love people that hurt us, disrespect us, slander us, and do us harm. So we've got a lot to uncover and unpack, but we're going to begin with the reading of Jesus' word from the Sermon on the Mount. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Um, for who you are. God, we thank you for your teaching. God, we thank you for your love and the forgiveness that we see in our lives. God, we thank you that your mercy is more than our sins and our trespasses. And so, God, I pray that as we study this section of Scripture, Lord, that you would reveal those areas where our attitude might be wrong, where we may not be showing your love to those in our sphere of influence. God, I pray that you would show us those areas where we are living and loving like the world as opposed to like you. And God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that they might know today that you love them, that you care for them, that you sent Jesus to die for their sins. And that if they follow you, if they would trust you, they could experience your grace and your forgiveness and your promise of eternal life. So God, we thank you that you call us to love, but we do so because you have first loved us. God, we love you. In your name we pray. All right, well, as we jump into, can you guys hear me? I, I have a head cold, so I might not be able to hear myself, but 
long as you can hear me, I will assume you can. So as we said in the intro, and as we said again and again these last few weeks, this is one of six examples that Jesus has given us. And the overarching point throughout these six observations is that God desires to transform our hearts and our attitudes, not just our religious actions, not just our Sunday mornings. And so the overarching point for this sermon and for this section of Scripture is this, God desires to transform our hearts, not just our religious actions. He desires our hearts to be more like Him, not just us to have uh, look better on a Sunday morning. And as we said with each of these examples, the Pharisees, they were taking the Old Testament and they were twisting it to miss the heart of God's message. And they were leading their followers into sin as opposed to God and heart change. And so the first thing we have to understand is what did the Old Testament teach on this subject? And then what were the Pharisees teaching? And how did Jesus address their hard hearts and our hard hearts within this? In verse 43, Jesus reveals the Pharisees' teaching. The Pharisees were the religious teachers of their day. And they were teaching to the people, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now in many of the examples we've read, the Pharisees were twisting the Old Testament words to fit their desire and their narrative. In this instance, they had just made up and added this phrase, and hate your enemy. They were drawing from Leviticus 19.18, which reads this. It says, do not re seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And what the Pharisees had done is they had focused on this phrase, your neighbor. And they had taken this good command to love your neighbor, and they had interpreted it to mean only love your neighbor. They said, yes, you have to love your neighbor, but if someone's not your neighbor, then the command no longer applies. If they weren't your neighbor, then you don't have to love them. And then they did, as we often do as humans, they took another logical step. They said if someone wasn't your neighbor, then you did not only you didn't have to love them, but you now have permission to hate them. And so they took the command, love your neighbor, and turned it into permission to hate anyone that wasn't your neighbor. And Jesus is saying to them and to us, you have so, so missed the heart of God. And the Jews, they had limited this phrase to only apply to their fellow Jews. So if someone wasn't a Jew, they weren't an Israelite. If someone wasn't like them, then they were to hate them and stay away from them. But here's the deal. We'll talk about this more as we go on. But there are many Christians that do the same thing. There are many Christians that view anyone who doesn't believe like them, look like them, and live like them as the enemy. There are many Christians that view the world not as neighbors to be loved, but as enemies to be hated, avoided, and fought against. And Jesus says to us, and he says to the Pharisees, you are missing it. The world's not the enemy, but they are the mission. They're why I've came. We read, it, we read that back in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We are called to be salt and light to this world. We aren't called just to shine brightly in the church building with our fellow Christian friends, but we are called to shine Jesus' light to our neighbors and to the world around us. Jesus there says, don't hide your light. Don't just stay in the building, but put it on display for the world to see. In Luke chapter 10, one of the Pharisees, familiar passage, he tries to justify his actions. He tries to just justify his belief system that, that we only are to love our neighbor. And he says to Jesus, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do what is written in the law. And then Jesus asked him, how do you read the law? The man, the Pharisee replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the Pharisee wanted to justify himself. He asked the question that the Pharisees focused on. And he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
That's the question they focused on, and we do as well. We try to narrow the scope of who we have to show love to. And Jesus replied to this question with one of the most famous stories in the Bible. He answered this question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can read it in Luke 10, starting in verse 30. But the summary is this. There was a man traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he was attacked. He was beaten, and he was left half dead. The first person to pass him was a priest. A priest was important within the church. And he was expected to be the hero of Jesus' story. But the priest didn't view the man as a neighbor. And he viewed his responsibilities as more important than the man, and so he kept on walking. The next man to pass him was a Levite. Once again, a Levite was a religious man who worked in the temple, but he too walked past the man and left him to die because he didn't view him as his neighbor. The third person to pass by was a Samaritan. And there were no greater enemies in the Jewish world than the Samaritans. Their faith was practiced incorrectly according to the Jews. They had intermarried with the Assyrians, and they were called half-breeds and dogs by the Jews. The, sellout, the, the Samaritans were sellouts. They represented everything wrong to the good law-abiding Jews. So the Samaritan comes along, and Jesus says he passes by, and he takes pity on the man. He bandaged his wounds. He puts the man on his donkey, and he took him to the inn to heal, and he paid his way. And then in verse 36, Jesus asked the Pharisee, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The Pharisee, the expert of the law, replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You see, the Pharisees had limited the term neighbor to mean their fellow Jew. And many of us have done the same thing, to, to, to limit neighbor to our fellow Christian or our fellow American or our fellow middle class citizen. But Jesus is challenging them and he's challenging us by showing us our neighbor is anyone within our circle of influence. It's anyone that God has put into our life that we are able to love and help. It doesn't matter their race or religion. It doesn't matter if they have hurt you in the past. If you can help them, then they are your neighbor and you are called to love them as yourself. And so the Pharisees taught, love those that are like you, hate those that are your enemy. And the amazing thing is if you read the Old Testament, you see not only does it not say hate your enemy, but it actually says to do good to your enemy. Just a couple of quick examples. Exodus 23, 4 through 5 reads, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey or someone who hates you has fallen down under its load, do not leave it there, but be sure to help with it. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And so the Pharisees, they completely twisted the words and developed their own teachings, which were evil and missed the heart of God. The Pharisees taught hate your enemies. The Old Testament taught be good to your enemy. And Jesus expands it more. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies. So that's our next point. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. We are to love our neighbor and we are to love our enemies. As illustrated in the story of the Good Samaritan, we are called to love everyone within our sphere of influence. We are called everyone in which to love everyone which we interact with. And this teaching was unprecedented amongst the Jews and it was unprecedented in the ancient world. Nobody else was teaching this kind of love. I'll go out on a limb and, and I'll declare this is still unprecedented today. Nobody outside of the Bible is calling us to love our enemies. Now there might be some people who on social media share a, a catchy meme or slogan like love everyone. But it doesn't take long to scroll through their tweets, Facebook or Instagram and realize that means love everybody who looks and believes like me. But hate those who don't agree with me and my choices and my politics and my beliefs. 
Nobody except Jesus taught to truly love and care for your enemies. This is a radical teaching. I wish Steve was here. He's downstairs teaching children's church. But this is fascinating because Jesus says this in the present tense. And what that means is it is to be a continuous or habitual action on our part. This takes last Sunday's message and it goes far beyond. Jesus says here it's not enough just not to take revenge, but we are called to actively love those that hurt us. We no longer just don't take revenge, but we are called to actively pursue the goodwill and love those enemies in our hearts. The one we once called our enemy, Jesus calls our neighbor. And he calls them to love them as we would love our friend. But what does this look like and why would we do this? Well, the good news is Jesus gives us answers to those questions in the next few verses. The first thing he calls us to do is found in verse 44. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says the first thing you should do is pray for your enemies. How do you begin to love your enemies? You pray for them. And that's our next point. Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies. R.E. Nixon, in his commentary, notes, persecutors are the most difficult enemies to love. If you can learn to love your persecutors, you can learn to love any of your enemies. And like the command love in this passage, this verb persecute is also in the present tense, meaning it implies continual action. And Jesus is, so Jesus is saying that even as your enemies are persecuting you, you are to be actively loving and praying for them. You are to pray for them even if they haven't stopped hurting you and they haven't yet apologized. And when Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, he's not talking about imprecatory prayers. In the Old Testament, there are these things called imprecatory prayers. And like David especially, he would pray for the destruction of an enemy who had made it their desire to take out God's people. That's not the kind of prayer Jesus is calling us to. He's not calling us to pray that our enemies would be destroyed and that they would be struck by lightning or anything else. Uh, I don't know if anyone else listens to country music, but like, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, there was a song called I Pray For You. And the lyrics went like this. It said, I haven't been in church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. He said, sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and you just pray for them. And then the man shares his prayer, and he says, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know, know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Those aren't the kind of prayers that we get to pray. But instead, we are to begin praying for our enemies' benefit, their blessing, their goodness, their salvation that God would reveal himself to them. I love what Guzik wrote in his commentary about our enemies. He wrote, Jesus understood that we will have enemies. Yet we are to respond to them in love, trusting that God will protect our cause and destroy our enemies in the best way possible, which is by transforming them into our friends, into our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first step to loving our enemies is praying for them and praying for them actively. And when we pray for our enemies, it does two incredible things for the relationship. First, it invites God into the relationship, into the conflict. There are times when we have been cut off from communicating with our enemies, but we can still pray for them, and we can pray for God to work in their lives and in their hearts. 
And then the second thing, and maybe the most important thing does, praying for our enemies does, is it allows God to start working in our heart. It is impossible for us to pray for someone and not begin to love and care for them. So even when you may not feel love towards someone, you can make the choice to begin praying for them and begin praying for God to work in your own heart. I know in my life, at least, it is difficult to hate and be unkind to someone that I'm praying for. I struggle to pray for someone's benefit, for their good, for their well-being, and then go be a jerk to them on Monday. And as I, and as we pray for others, it be, God begins to work in our hearts, and he lifts our eyes from our hurt and from our pain to him and his incredible grace and forgiveness that he has shown us. Then lastly, if you know that that person is not a follower of Jesus, then begin praying for their salvation. Pray that God would reveal himself to them and they might experience the hope, life, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus that you too have experienced. And as Christians, we don't pray this prayer because we are better than them, but we, we pray this prayer because we remember the desperate and hopeless situation we lived in before we trusted Jesus and received his forgiveness. Pray that they would experience that kind of forgiveness, salvation, hope, and purpose that you now have in Jesus. So Jesus says we are to love our enemies, and the first step to loving our enemies is to pray for them. And when we do, God will begin to work in our hearts, and we will begin to love them as he loves them. That leads to verse 45. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So Jesus says we are to pray for our enemies, and we are to imitate and be like our Father in heaven in how we treat our enemies. We're not just to pray for them, but we are to tangibly love and serve them. I love how Ray Fowler put this. He said, this is the reason Jesus gives for loving your enemies. It's not just to win them over as friends. That may or may not happen. But when you love your enemies, you show yourself to be God's children by acting like your heavenly father. And how does your heavenly father act? He gives his blessing to all regardless of their personal allegiance to him. This is the way God is. He showers his love and kindness on all people without distinction. God shows his love, his blessing to all people no matter who they are. Both rain and sun were considered blessings in Jesus' day. These are expressions of his common grace, the, the blessings that he gives to all people everywhere. And Jesus says we are to love people with that same common grace, that same blessing in which God shows everyone. That means we are to do good, we are to bless, we are to love as God has loved us. And we know that God's ultimate love for us is seen on the cross. We'll talk about it in a minute, but God shows his ultimate love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were living as enemies of him, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and for the sins of any that would turn and follow him. God loved us while we were enemies by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And so that's our model. That's what we are to follow. That's what we are to imitate. We are called to love, sacrifice, and bless our enemies. Jesus is calling you to love your enemies. So if, they, if you have someone that's come to mind, find one tangible way you can serve, love, and sacrifice for them this week. And that's our next point. I think it was just up there. But we are to love as God loves, not as the world loves. We are to love as God loves. That means we are to bless our enemies, do good for our enemies, and we are to love them even sacrificially as God has loved you. But before we move on to the second part of this point, let me clarify one thing real quick. Our world has twisted this word, love. Please know here that Jesus says God loves his enemy. He blesses his enemies. He has made a way for his enemies to be saved. 
but he does not ignore, endorse, or sugarcoat their sin. God sends blessings, but he still says they are evil and unrighteous. They are living as enemies of him in their sin. He still calls them to repentance and faith in Jesus. In the same way as we, modeled God, as we model God's love, we do so in action and in our hearts and our prayers. But that does not mean that we endorse and call sin good. The world tells us that in order to love, we must pat on the back every choice, every belief, every lifestyle, even if it contradicts the Bible and is called sin. The Bible says that's not love. The Bible says that is encouraging and patting our world on the back as they walk through the gates of hell. The Bible said that's the opposite of love. Love does not mean loving and endorsing the sin. It doesn't mean loving and endorsing every choice people make. Love means loving the person as God loves them. Seeing every person as a creation of God loved by him. So we as Christians, we aren't to get caught up on how someone is acting and forget that there is a soul in need of a Savior underneath the sin in their lives. We as Christians, we are not to expect the world to live like Christians. But we are called to love them where they are, as they are, because they are loved by God. We are to show them God's love tangibly as we pray for them. Jesus says, love your enemy, serve your enemy, bless your enemy, pray for your enemy. And as you do so, you model God's love, which is greater than the world's love. In fact, Jesus says, if you only love your neighbor, your friend, the one that loves you, you are just like the world. So God loves his enemy. It loves everyone unconditionally. It shows grace, and God shows grace and mercy to them. And then in verse 46 and 47, we see how the world loves. The love that we are called to more. We are called to model God's love, not the world's. Verse 46, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And so Jesus asks us here a few rhetorical questions. He says, is our bar for loving others going to be tax collectors and non-Christians? Or is our bar going to be God and the way he has loved us? The tax collectors were the most despised people in their culture. Now tax collectors, they're, they're not really beloved today. But in Jesus' day, tax collectors were hated. They were Jews that had turned their back on their own people and were collecting taxes for the occupying Roman Empire. And then on top of that, they made their riches by taking more than required from their neighbors and putting it in their own pockets. Tax collectors were traitors and thieves. And Jesus says, even they love those that love them back. Is that going to be the bar for us? And then he brings up the, the pagan or the non-believing world. He says, non-Christians love those that love them. They love people that bless them. They love people that help them. They love people that benefit them. But are we not called to more? Yes, we should love our family. Yes, we should love our friends. Yes, we should love those that help and benefit us. But we as Christians, Jesus says, are called to more. Alfred Plummer writes, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. But to return good for evil is divine. It is to imitate our heavenly father. The world returns good for good. But we separate ourselves from the world when we return good for evil to our enemy. We shine light to the world when we love as God loves. We shine light to the world when we love the one that cannot help us or benefit us. We shine the light of Jesus to the world when we love, when we serve, when we give. And, and we know that we're going to get no benefit out of it. When we know we're going to get no praise and no recognition out of it. 
right? Our culture and our, our community does a really good job of loving, serving, and giving towards the people and causes that we deem worthy of our love. But we as Christians, Jesus said, are called to more. We are called to love even when we don't feel like it and we don't benefit from it. That's the thing. Loving our enemies always will begin with a choice. Our feelings may lead us to love our friends. But it will always take a choice to obey Jesus to love our enemies. Love is a choice. Even when we don't feel like it, we pray for our enemies, for those around us. Even when we don't feel like it, we are called to serve and to do good in those fear, those, to those in our sphere of influence. And even those we would consider our enemies. As we choose to love in action the people God calls us to love, we will find that our feelings follow. The world loves those that it feels good to love. But God calls us to love all people, and for that it will always take a choice. Right, we know this. People are crazy. People are mean. People say hurtful things to us, and they do hurtful things to us. And yet God calls us as his followers to shine his light by choosing to love them. By choosing to love them even when they still, present tense, persecute us. Even when they can't repay us for our love. Even when it costs us, even when we don't feel like it. And then in verse 48, we get the why. Verse 48 reads, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in verse 48, Jesus sums up not only this section uh, on the law, but the sermon as a whole thus far. Because verse 48 reminds us of who we are and what we are called to. We are called to perfection, to righteousness, to sinlessness. To that, every one of us has fallen short. Romans 3.23 says that all, including you and I, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, without Jesus, are sinners in need of saving. That's why Jesus said in verse 3, back in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who recognize their sin because they are who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We must recognize our sin, our shortcomings, that we were enemies in order to be saved. That's why Jesus said in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Righteousness is the call that we have all been called to, but we have all fallen short. The Bible says prior to Jesus, we were enemies of the cross. We were enemies of God in our sin. And so we can love our enemy, we can pray for our enemy, we can serve our enemy, because the why is because God loved us when we were his enemy. When we were living in opposition to him. We can love because he has loved us. John in 1 John 4 writes, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Beloved, John says, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. And that's the beauty of this call. It's the beauty of the Christian faith. We are not asked to do anything that God has not already done for us. We are called to love our enemy because God is love, and he showed his love to us when we were his enemy. When it seems hard to love, when it seems not worth it to love, when it seems pointless to love, when someone seems completely unworthy and unlovable, and they probably are, then we remember God's love for us. Romans 5.8 reads, we say it all the time here, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, while I was still a sinner, while we were unlovable, while we were enemies of God, that's when Jesus died for us. 
Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us while we were sinners, while we were enemies of him. That's when he died for our sins. Jesus didn't die for people who already loved him. He didn't die for people who were already singing his praises. He didn't die for people who were sharing his accolades with the world. Jesus died for those that opposed and hated him. Jesus died for you and I when we were enemies of the cross, when we were living in sin, when we were destined for hell. Jesus died for us not because we were worthy, but he died for us while we were his enemies, while we were sinners in desperate need of forgiveness. So when we look at our workplace, when we look at our neighborhood, when we look at our friends and family that might be living as enemies of the cross, that might be living in sin, that might be living in a way that drives us nuts, when we see the world living in blatant and destructive sin, the call is not to judge and condemn, but instead when we see that, we see ourselves before Jesus intervened and saved us. And it should lead us to weep and mourn over their sin. It should lead us to pray. It should lead us to compassion. It should lead us to love and serve them in our hearts. Not the annoyance and judgment we so often feel. We should pray for them and look for ways to love, serve, and point them to Jesus. Because we see ourselves before Jesus died for us. And when we see the world living that way, we don't condemn, but we love. We don't puff up our chest and think of ourselves as better, but we should fall on our knees and give thanks that Jesus has saved us. And in that gratitude, we ought to be motivated to love others. And show God's love to them through, through serving, caring, and praying for them. It's because of his love and his sacrifice that we can love others. It's because of his love that we can love that obnoxious coworker, that obnoxious neighbor. That we can love the unlovable person. That we can love the orphan. That we can even love our children and our spouse. We love because he loved us. Jesus loved us when we were unworthy, when we were undeserving, when we were unlovable, when we were living in sin and rebellion. And because of his love for us, we are called and empowered to love others, even our enemy. That's our final point. We can love our enemies. I can love my enemy because God sent Jesus to die for my sins while I was living in sin as his enemy. Jesus is not calling us to anything that he hasn't already done for us as his followers. In the mid-1950s, Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries to Ecuador, and they were killed by the tribe of Indians they were trying to reach with the gospel. The Aka Indians were a violent tribe who speared all five men to death, even though they had previously made friendly contact with the tribe. Two years after they were killed, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, along with Rachel Saint, who was the sister of one of the other men, returned, and they lived amongst the Akas and shared the gospel with them. And they brought to the Akas a message of love and salvation to the same men who had killed those that they loved. And through their service and through their time with them, many came and followed Christ because of the bold and loving witness of Rachel and Elizabeth. But how could someone return and love and serve in that situation? How could someone come and love the people who had killed the one that they loved? And the answer is simple. It's in this why. They knew Jesus and it had changed their lives. They knew Jesus who had died for them when they were still sinners. And so they reached out in love and forgiveness to those who had sinned against them. Now that's a, that's a really dramatic story of love and forgiveness that we will hopefully never have to live through. But we are still called to love and show God's love today to those that look different than us. That believe different than us. That have hurt us. That have slandered us. That have hurt those we love. 
and those that can never return our love. And the only way we can possibly do that is by remembering Jesus' love for us and making the choice to show that love to others. So as we begin to transition to a time of response, where are you as you hear this section of scripture from Jesus? Right, maybe you're here today and, and you recognize that you have never trusted Jesus with your life. And, and you recognize you are living as an enemy of God in your sin. And you've never experienced his grace and his forgiveness. And if that's you, the message for you is simple. And that is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for your sin. And if you will believe in him, if you will put your faith in him, he will forgive you. He will make you righteous and sinless, and he will give you eternal life in heaven. Jesus has made a way. He has paid the price for your sin in his death. The Bible says he waits for you with open arms to turn to him and to ask for his forgiveness. And if you will turn, if you will repent, if you will ask for forgiveness, he promises to show you his love, his grace. And he promises you eternal life with him. The whole Bible says, is the gospel says that God loves you and he sent Jesus because he loves you. If you will turn and follow him, you will experience his love today. But for others, maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. As you listen to this passage in scripture, you see that you love much more like the world loves than like God loves. You're pretty good at loving those and serving those that love you, that help you and benefit you. But you're like me and you're like all of us. You struggle to love those that are different than you. Those that have hurt you. Or those relationships where there's no benefit to you, no blessing for you. If that's you, I pray that during this sermon, God has revealed some specific people or maybe some relationships during this sermon to you where he is calling you to show his love. If that's the case, will you commit to begin praying for those people this week? Would you make the choice to pray for those people in your sphere of influence this week? And pray that God would change your hearts towards them. And then as you pray, would you make the choice to serve and love them in one tangible way, even when you don't feel like it? And I pray that as you love and serve them, I pray that God would change your heart, and I pray he would change their hearts as well. My ultimate prayer is that God would use our service and our love and our prayers to transform the hearts of many around us from enemies of God to forgiven sons and daughters of the King. So I pray, as I pray, we're just going to pray in a couple minutes. I pray God would preach people to your mind, that you would pray for them, you would love them, you would serve them this week. And I pray that God would use our love and our prayer and our service to lead many in our community to his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So I'm going to pray for us, and I pray, I would just ask you to pray in your seat as well. Then go and serve this week. God, we thank you for who you are. More than anything, God, we thank you that you loved us first. God, thank you that while I was living in sin, while we were living in sin, while we were living as enemies of the cross, enemies of you, you sent Jesus to die and to pay the price, the, price, the penalty for my sin and our sin. So that when we turned and when we trusted you, you were faithful to forgive. And so God, I pray that as in these moments and throughout this week, Lord, that you would reveal those spheres of influence, those people, those relationships where you are calling us to show your love. God, I pray that we would be a people that are, are faithful to make the choice to pray for those people. And I, God, I pray that as we pray, you would transform our hearts and you would lift them from ourselves and you would lift them to you and your goodness and your glory. 
God, I pray that as we pray, Lord, that you would move in, in those around us hearts, Lord, you would draw them to you, that you would help to mend the hurt and the pain. And God, that you would turn these enemies of these people we don't know into friends. Not only friends of us, but friends of you, followers of you. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak into our lives, Lord, and that you would, uh, that you would call our hearts to mourn, that you would call our hearts to love like you loved us, Lord, and that you would speak clearly to us. And again, Lord, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today that they would make that choice to follow you, to trust you, that they would quietly say, God, I want to follow you. I believe that Jesus came and died the death and paid the penalty for my sin. I believe he rose from the grave, and I want to follow him. I want to make him Lord of my life. And I want to experience his grace and forgiveness. So God, I pray, Lord, in these, just, these moments as we reflect, and these moments as we go home in this week, Lord, that you would call us to love like you have loved. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today. I got just a few announcements for you, and then we'll dismiss. First of all, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be welcome cards somewhere in the vicinity of you. Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that, and there's a wood box on that back table, we would really appreciate it. Uh, that's also you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. You can also do that online. I fail to mention that almost always, uh, but you can do that online as well. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church on Sunday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, if you've got questions about that, come and see me. I'd love to tell you more. Uh, we have youth group and kids night, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7. Uh, if you have questions about kids night, you can see me or Ms. Chandra. If you have questions about youth group, you can see Ms. Smith in the back. Uh, we plan on having that unless we get another blizzard this week, but hopefully that won't happen. Uh, other announcements, on your, on your uh, announcements, I put the dates for the summer activities for this week. I don't know about you, but my family is already booked out through the summer. Summer uh, children's camp on Casper Mountain will be July 10th to the 14th. Summer youth camp, because I spelled camp wrong, there is a P in that. Summer youth camp will be on Casper Mountain July 24th through the 29th. And then we'll have VBS uh, children's day camp here at the church uh, um, on those mornings, uh, July 31st to August 3rd. Uh, so you can put those on your calendars. If you have questions about any of those, you can come see me, and I will point you to the right person. Other announcements are on there. We're always uh, looking for people to help with the worship team. If you have interest in serving on the worship team, you can come and see me. We need singers. We need people to play instruments. You can also continue to be praying that we would get a worship leader. We've been without a worship leader for a year and a half. We've had two people we thought were coming. They have not come. So you can continue to pray for that. you got somebody in mind, come, come tell me. Uh, we'll give them a call. Uh, anyway. Thank you so much for being here. If you have questions about any of those announcements, come see me. Um, otherwise, you can have a great week, and you are dismissed. We hope to see you next week. You are dismissed.